Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and super excited to dive into this episode. Before I do, though, I do want to uh, address a question that I get a lot, which is, what kind of training plan do I use, or do you have recommendations for training plans, or for a coach that I should invest in? So for me, whenever I make recommendations for anything, it's always based on things that I've used in my own running and my own career and what's worked really, really well for me. So for me, um, number one, I think having at least a training plan in your training is crucial to not only get great results and hit your goals, but also to progress safely. So many times, and even in my early career, I remember I would progress really, really quickly uh, in terms of distance and mileage and workouts, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And ultimately, I ended up injuring myself. I ended up getting burnt out, and it just was not great at all. And it really was only until I started to follow a solid training plan, um, attuned to my specific race distance, my experience level, how many times uh, I had to really uh, work with in terms of a training block, all those kind of things, I really started to see myself making better progress a lot quicker, making myself be more healthy and not getting injured as many times or not feeling burnt out or mentally strung out by the training. And ultimately, I was able to hit my goals and enjoy my training blocks so, so much more. And on top of that too, I've even gone further and hired a coach as well. But the cool thing is the coach that I hired is the same person who developed the training plans, which is Zach Bitter. Now, if you're familiar with Zach, and you probably are, you know that he's one of the greatest ultra marathon athletes of all time. He's the former record holder for fastest 100 mile time and most miles traveled in a 24 hour period uh, in a running event. Uh, he is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things um, progressing and training and optimization and all those things as well. And what's super cool is he offers pre made training plans that you can pick based on the distance you're training for, your experience level, and also how much much time that you need to train for the race, which are three important pillars that I think everybody needs to get when it comes to a training plan. Plus, you know, he's coached hundreds and hundreds of athletes as well. So being able to take all that experience from not only his own racing, but also his experience of coaching others, he's able to really fine tune an amazing training plan for you to help hit your goals. Whether it's a 5k or whether it's a hundred miles, he has a plan for you. And if you want to go even deeper, you can actually hire him as a personalized coach where he's going to take a plan and personalize it to your lifestyle. So that includes your schedule, your stress levels, your sleep levels, your lifestyle, your goals, everything else like that, he goes even further and personalizes it in a personalized plan and also offers calls where you can hop on with him on a routine basis to go over your training, answer your questions, and ultimately get the coaching you need. That's the package that I've used with Zach over the past year and a half, and I've seen incredible results with him uh, going from pretty much an average and mediocre runner to placing top 10 male at Havelina 100, which was one of the most stacked events last year on the ultra running circuit. So if you want to make great progress, if you want to have an awesome training plan, or 
if you're looking for an amazing coach, I cannot recommend Zach even more than I already do. He is just amazing to uh, work with and just an awesome, awesome coach and uh, person to get a training plan from. So if you're interested in the training plans, go to the the show notes and go to the link in there, which is zachbitter.com slash training hyphen plans, or you can go to his coaching options. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and we're here with another episode in the Cocodona 250 series where we're covering athletes who are racing the third edition of the coveted race starting in Block Canyon City, Arizona, shooting all the way up north to Flagstaff over the course of 250 miles in this epic, epic race. Now, this episode is special to me for two different reasons. I should say three different reasons, actually. Reason number one, I love this guy. He's the fucking man. He's a good friend of mine. Now, he's taking care of me during the races. Uh, We've just we get along so well when we chat. So that's number one. Number two, this guy's a fucking beast. So we were chatting beforehand. He's going for his eighth 200 mile in the span of 24 months, which is averaging 100 miler basically almost every three months, which is just absolutely insane. He's done the triple crown of 200s. Went for the Triple Crown the second year, but with the cancellation of Tahoe, we still got two out of three in. But this is also his third round in Cocodona as well. So when you talk about the main 200s, this guy has been there, done that in all of them. And he's a super accomplished through hiker as well, just traversing all these incredible trails all over the world. I mean, it's just phenomenal. So that's number two. Number three... I actually get the amazing opportunity to spend a lot of time with this guy on course in Cocodona next week when we go out and, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, the race finally happens. So the plan is to pace him for at least the last hundred K might be a little bit more miles in there as well, but I'll be, uh, I'll be bringing this guy home. And we literally, literally right before this podcast, went over our pacing strategy, went over all the things. He told me all of his weak spots and everything where I can be a dick and help him out (laughs) at the same time. So for the three reasons, number one, just a fucking awesome guy and I adore him. Number two, super talented runner and just a fucking absolute beast. And three, we get to share some miles on Cocodona together. So uh, without further ado, I'd love to introduce my good friend, Aaron Fleischer, to the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on, man. I'm so fucking looking forward to this. I appreciate you coming on. Dude, Joe, I, I feel like I already made my first mistake telling you all my secrets because now you're just going to use them against me down that last 100K. And it's like, <laughs> what, what did I just do to myself here? Hold on. You gave your whole playbook to my mind. Now I now oh, I can pull man. the strings when I need to to, to get you going, man. You, I am so fucked in the best way here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good. Like I said in the beginning, I'm going to be the most helpful dick ever out there, right? You're going to hate me. But at the end, once we, well, once we make it done, uh, you're going to love me. Let me tell you how I know I'm not going to hate you. I've been listening to like your podcast all week because you've had all these epic Cocodona guests and I've been nerding out about that and I haven't got sick of your voice yet. So I feel like that's a good sign for someone that pays me hundred K. <laughs> that is such a good litmus test. I remember when you said that, I was like, Phew, like, that's good. He's not going to be sick of me out there. We're going to be good. And uh, it's going to be fucking awesome. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited to spend some time with you out there, man. It's going to be so epic to, to see you in action out there. Right. So, um, and, and speaking of like, I guess action, right. Like Tell us, I guess, how you just kind of, you know, because you were first time on the podcast. Um, I would love to hear how you got into this, right? Because I know we were talking beforehand. You're still like, you, you feel like you're a little quote unquote new to 200s, but like eight fucking 200 milers in two years. Like, dude, holy shit. Um, and so what drew you into this, right? Like into, you know, getting into this extreme distance endurance events. You're not the one to kind of go after the shorter stuff too. You love the long stuff. So, so what kind of bred this love for you? Honestly, I know it sounds ass backwards, but it was, it was sort of the easy way in 
mm. or the, the easy way into the sport. Um, I had, um, I didn't grow up running. I didn't do track and field. Like you see a lot of these athletes. I wasn't a marathon. I'd never signed up for a 5k or did a marathon or half marathon or, or these things. And so, um, the transition really from, from through hiking, I, I kind of started to fall into that around 2015 when I did the Tahoe rim trail 2016, I had this natural. So I had more of a natural progression, I guess, on the through hiking side, the Tahoe rim trail is about 170 miles, the Colorado trail the year after 484, um, the Pacific crest trail, I spent a lot of my summers on that in 2017, 2018 and 2019. I've hiked most of the trail twice really at this point. Arizona trail was mixed in there. And so when, um, when I was looking at, um, races, I was actually researching the longest ones possible uh, <laughs> as a way to kind of get in. I just sort of thought, well, geez, if I'm through hiking and I could do, you know, marathon days all summer, do thirties, I started to get into the, the habit of just doing thirties. And it just sort of felt natural if you're hiking from sunrise to sunset. Obviously you're taking your breaks at on the lake, you might be carrying some more weight, but you're still going ultralight. Um, it just sort of felt like, Hmm, like the difference between 30 and 50 miles a day, I guess I look at a Cocodona and I just thought five fifties. I thought, Oh, five fifties. I could do five fifties and I don't have to filter my water and I don't have to carry as much food. And it's kind mm. of like what we call slack packing and through hiking and people are cheering for you. And there's like trail magic. And it's like, it almost felt like I was cheating. It felt like it was be easier and so so i thought so i thought sort of coming in but um yeah that that's really what attracted it to me was was i i didn't look at it i feel like i still haven't raced yet i i didn't look at it like it was a race i looked at it like it was another adventure and it was a condensed through hike adventure where i didn't necessarily have to spend weeks and months of my summer out in the trail that if i wanted that that same sort of feeling i might get from that like in a um, like a small little microcosm of an adventure, like that's where these 200s seem to to fit in. Um, and so I went, um, there was a little bit of failure actually to be involved first. I, I had signed up for a stage race in 2018 called Grand to Grand, um, mm -hmm. which goes from the, the the north side of the Grand Canyon to the Grand Staircase. It's part of this like desert series. I think it was known to be one of the tougher races. I thought it was funny because they called it self-supported um, because you do, you carry your food for the week, but you still don't have to carry your tent and they give you hot water at the end of the day. And I'm like, that's not really self-supported. <laughs> um, but anyways, I actually, I actually failed that one in 2018, came back in 2019 to get revenge, looked and I, and I did it actually to, to raise money. My dad was actually a big trail runner. He isn't, he's a little bit older now. He's in, he's in remission for breast cancer, but um his license plate actually says tr is actually trail runner. <laughs> really? Yeah. Damn, yeah. Lucky to get that one. Yeah. And uh, he's done all those rock and roll marathons, you know, in, in Phoenix and Vegas and Napa and all these cities. And um, I used to like just go out hiking, but I wouldn't like run with him. I'd be like, who runs? Like, and I was like who runs these things? And so when he got cancer, I kind of wanted to raise money and I wanted to find some sort of ultra event. And so that's how I ended up over at Grand to Grand. And as opposed to a, a marathon sounded absolutely horrible to me. I wouldn't, well, I didn't want to run a marathon. I wanted to pick something that felt like it was more like in my wheelhouse. Mm. Um, and so these, these stage races kind of called out to me and I was committed to, um, to going out there and actually not running. Um, mm. so I showed up actually in, 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 in bedrock sandals and some board shorts and like, 
I was a hiker, like in a sea of runners and I ran zero miles and I finished like right in the mid pack. And it was a huge confidence builder of like, oh, like I can hang with these people. Like I could, I could do this. And so, um, you know, I, I ended up signing up for the triple crown of two hundreds in mm, 2020. Mm. and the first two were canceled the third one i went to moab and i dnf'd at moab mm. so yeah you know my my track record and stuff didn't didn't start off real good that's kind of like a one for three really um and so the following year i was just went after the you know i mean i guess i had postponed sort of tahoe and bigfoot or whatever but i was back on the triple crown again for 2021 and um, like, like you said, I got two out of the three because the Tahoe had got canceled from the Caldor fire. Yep. Well, actually I was a 2020 triple crown from COVID cancellation, a 2021 Caldor fire cancellation. And then finally in 20, 20, 2022, I did the four 200s with a Cocodona and the three last year, but coming into Cocodona in 2021, I had just heard about it maybe a month before. And someone said, Hey, you know, there's other people that might be doing the triple crown and doing coca down on. I'm like, there's four, like, how does this work? And I really wasn't ready. I figured I need to get one of these under my belt. So I kind of just signed up for coca thinking it'll be good to get one under my belt before I go do three <laughs> later this year. <laughs> and you, and um, you had never like really done like a true 200 mile race before at this point that you were just like, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or I'm diving in. I'm diving in and, um, and I was looking at some of the names and I knew that a couple people were like pros and this and that. And, um, I thought I was, you know, completely out of my league and I didn't know really what I was doing there. And, and I had just hired Mike McKnight as a coach, probably just weeks, weeks before the race. And he talked oh, to me really? and said, and, yeah, and he kind of encouraged me. I was almost going to drop out and he encouraged me actually to stay in the inaugural year. Wow. And said, Hey, if you just treat this like a learning experience, like you come out just fine, just take it easy. And, and, uh, um, we had to become good friends after that. I thought he was such a good guy. Like he was sending me a text deep in the race when he was actually in the hospital telling oh, me yeah. job and you're, you're going to finish this thing and it's working out great. I thought that was just so motivating, but, um, a couple, about a week before the race, I found out they had like something called the DFL trophy. I had never heard. I didn't know what that was. Like, again, I didn't know what a drop bag looked like. I didn't, um, I had never really been in the, I didn't know, I had no crew or pacers at all. I was just showing up and it was like five fifties. Okay. Let's just through hike this thing. Um, and so once I found out there was a DFL trophy, I thought that had my name on it. So actually I, I, I know it's so ass backwards, but I started it thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be last. And I actually waited at the start line until everybody went through and I wanted to be <laughs> the last person to start. I was committed to being the last dot on the, on the tracker, like the whole time. I thought that was going to be like a fun journey. <laughs> Holy shit. So like, what, what intrigued you about that? Was it just like, like, because I, I feel like it was, uh, it was like an anti runner running perspective. It was like, I'm not going to run. I don't know how to run. I don't really know how to run. I don't feel comfortable running. Running sounds miserable. My perception of running is horrible. I'm a hiker. And I want to enjoy the views. And this course sounds awesome. I've never been to any of these towns before. And it sounds hard. And I think the desert's very gorgeous. And it's going to push my limits a little bit because I've never done just five fifties like that before. Um, and I'm going to end up getting this trophy for being last. Cool. <laughs> so and, like and you get the best celebration. Well, yeah. So I, I joked around with Andre, I think later that he stole my trophy. Uh, <laughs> on, you know, <laughs> we'll sort of get to that. 
But you, you know, that first day, I'm sure you've heard stories of the first year of Cocodona. And I mean, I was one of many people that ran out of water and had no water for like 10 miles and it was peeing some kind of brown sludge. And Ooh. I have memories of sleeping under a bush and waking up. And I thought like seven or eight people were like waiting for my spot <laughs> to like get under some shade. Oh my gosh. But it was a gnarly experience, but it really um, built my confidence because as I started to see people be completely demoralized. I almost felt like I was a bad human because like the more I saw other people get demoralized, the more confidence it sort of gave me, which almost made me feel like I was a bad person. I was like, why am I feeling so good? The fact that other people are feeling so bad. And so <laughs> I like had to like look myself in the mirror. But anyways, like I, I think the through hiking experience comes in really handy because as much as I hate to admit it, it wasn't the first time I was out of water. It's like I've been out in the Mojave Desert and a lot of these other through hikes where you're, you're hoping a seasonal stream's running or you're hoping... Um, some kind of crowdsourced water report is accurate that there's going to be water when you're up there. And here it's like, you know that there's water. There's water at the aid station. It's 100% going to be mm -hmm. there. You just have to get there. Mm. And so I, I think that kind of mentality kind of helped me like, okay, like I'm, I know I'm dehydrated. I know it's going to slow my race down. I'm going to have to take time to recover. But like, it didn't mean, and never meant that anything was like over. Like I never thought once about like that I wasn't going to make it or I was going to quit at all or anything like that. Like it was just like, a setback, like a minor setback, you know? And so, um, I took it easy and I had to recover in that first night. And, um, I, I really didn't trust the race after that. Like, mm. I felt like, I felt like I didn't trust, um, people like telling me that it was going to, like, if someone said it's downhill, I thought it was going to be uphill. And if someone said it was, there was going to be 13 miles, I thought it was gonna be more. And I, I just like, didn't, it, it caused a lot of distrust in the race, which meant that I had never trusted that I had enough time to sleep. So I actually went all the way to Sedona really without sleeping, which was about 72 hours for me into the race. Oh my gosh. Without sleep, because I'd, I'd be four or five or six hours ahead of the cutoff. But in my head, I was thinking, well, if I sleep for four hours, I don't have anybody to wake me up. And the next section's harder than what they thought. Then my race is over. So yeah, and and just to I, just to point out, you were doing this unsupported too. For those who didn't listen, I know you didn't mention that, but like that just makes this even fucking more amazing. So just wanted to, to preface that in there because it's that's a whole new level of fucking holy crap. Right. So <laughs> I get to Sedona. I'm coming into Sedona. I remember this, and and um. The first year they had run this, the course, like almost like you were doing the, almost the entire airport loop. Like, like they had sort of taken you down and then down the airport and then sort of around, they changed the way you're coming to Sedona this year. Um, and I did it at night and I was convinced that I was walking circles around the airport for like the rest of my life. I thought I was caught like in an airport vortex. And I think I'd even said something to somebody like, how many more laps of this do we have to do? And they were like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> and so, um, and, and I was like, I, I knew I needed sleep, but I knew I had to just get to the next aid station to get there. And then I was going to get some rest. But I was convinced that they were going to find me like in some ditch on the side of the road or like in some wash, like, and my race was going to be over. I was just going to be like sleeping there for like seven hours. And I wasn't going to, and I was like a half a mile from the aid. And I was just like, I don't think I'm going to make it. Um, but I made it and I slept a, a long time in Sedona and I went to Whole Foods and there's a whole foods right there and it got myself and the crew and even like the crew, like some breakfast biscuits or something. <laughs> and, and I have a picture of this, Joe, like I should post it, but I have this picture. And so I actually, I left Sedona. I think I was last or Andre just passed me when I left. I mean, I was, I was DFL leaving Sedona. Oh, I, wow. left, I left 20 minutes in front of the cut or like 12 minutes in front of the cut, but I left with like this really 
calm confidence. Like I had just slept and I woke up like a new person. I knew I had like a hundred miles left. And I, I knew at that point, like a hundred percent, like I didn't need to sleep again for the rest of the time. And, and I knew that I was, I was going to finish. And my bag was packed with this like coconut water, this, like this whole, like whole food, like an avocado and like this. And I had literally left the aid station. Cause I know you have to get out of there. And I was so confident that I walked a, a mile up the trail and I went to some shade and I was like having like a through hiker, like lunch. Like I was just like <laughs> hanging out under a tree with this like confidence of like, oh yeah, I'm just going to enjoy myself. Like it's just in hindsight, it's so like ass backwards the way most people would kind of perceive, I think, even the way I perceive this event or a race in general, like it wasn't, a, it wasn't a race. Um, it was, it was a through hike and and it was fun because I ended up like catching up to a bunch of people I had never met before because they're all like mid-pack people that maybe eventually I just kind of walked and met people down um, up on uh, the Castor Mountain Climb. And and um, as much as I would have loved to get the DFL, I was kind of over at that point and I just kind of walked it in and and, and finished. And um, so the reason why I kind of tell that story, because it's like a lot of people are like, oh, why do you, I just anticipated sort of the question about why are you coming back sort of a third time? And you knew you read and my, in my situation. No, in, in my situation, it's, it, it was completely accidental. Like I, like it, it felt very like by circumstance, I even ended up in the race to begin with. And then it felt like a bunch of different stars aligned that I, even finish like there's a lot of ways I could have just fallen asleep somewhere and that just would have been it I think that was my biggest fear during the race was I was just gonna fall asleep and nobody was gonna wake me up um and and when I was done it was such a it was way harder than what I thought it was gonna be I got extremely humbled I was very proud very proud of finishing it felt really good when I was done and thought it was a a one and done I, th I thought there was no way I would ever need to come back. Like you wouldn't be able to top the experience. So why would you, why would you come back? Mm. Um, and so I was really slow to sign up for year two. It took um, a lot of peer pressure from a lot of people. Like you, you start having people that are signing up. You're coming back. You're coming back. I'm like, no, I'm not coming back. Like maybe I'll come back and crew and pace. I think I told some people I'll come back and crew and pace you, but like, I'm not racing. Like I'm not coming back. And so <laughs> Like I was committed on not coming back. So it took a long time into the next year where eventually the second time was a little bit of peer pressure like that. It, it was, a, it was really the community that brought me in. It was like, I didn't know, I, I wasn't expecting that when I came in, but it, I had met so many friends in a short amount of time and I had such a good time. Like just, it was like the most fun I ever had. It really was that week was just like, like it was a blast. And even after it was a blast, you know, and before it was a blast and, um, and so I wanted to come back and be with my people. And so that kind of brought me back a second, a second year. And after the second time, I sort of knew I was going to come back a third time at that point. So <laughs> you were locked in from there. For, uh, and that's like the one thing I've heard is like a lot of the people who are coming back for year three is because the people, the experience, the times, like, it's almost like they're it because there was the inaugural race there is like the people who have done every version and it's like yeah i'm just gonna keep coming back and, and keep doing this well thing. i i mean in a way you have three years three different courses because they did many True. course modifications yeah. so I, I i actually really like that i think that's really cool um you know last year coming in um because they had moved the tahoe 200 to june and i'm kind of a quasi local up in tahoe and i i've hiked that 
hiked the rim trail a couple times and I kind of felt like that was sort of my home course. Mm-hmm. That was really my A race last year. And I really cared a lot about doing it. So the reason I was apprehensive really about Cocodona was that it was so close to Tahoe mm. that it was going to mess up my performance, but I really wanted to go to Cocodona because I just wanted to be my people. I knew it was going to be fun. So I kind of also came in knowing that I, I was staring three more two hundreds um, in the next, you know, four, four or five months after that, specifically the Tahoe 200, like six weeks after. Mm. And so I looked at it very strategically where I wasn't coming in trying to race again. I, I certainly wanted to improve, I guess, my time, but I just looked at it like it was a good time with my friends again. And only I had more confidence that I could do things a little bit better where I could move quicker and, and get more sleep and have more fun and not be so under the gun, maybe like I was a little bit the first year. Yeah. And that totally is, is just so awesome to see that like perspective from like year one to year two. And then even year three, like we were talking before, there's like a whole different shift. So tell us about that. Right. Like, so like year one, you're kind of just throwing yourself in there. You're just like, I'm just learning this shit year two. You're kind of like, okay, I'm coming back for the community. Maybe, you know, learn on a little things, but year three, I mean, like, you know, we, we just had an hour long call about that. And, you know, when it comes to like having an hour long call with like a, like a, like a pacer and everything like that, it's like, you know, you know, things aren't, you know, it's not a wing in it at that point. Like you, you're going into it with intention. So tell us about like your kind of shift going into Cogodoni year three. Cause I think it's so interesting. Um, well, I just want to shave off as much time as I can off of my, um, I guess, first year time. Um, it's probably the best sort of comparison and just because of how the approach was versus how much more experience I think, um, from doing seven of them, I guess, sort of coming in, um, I think there's a lot of room to shave off time. I mean, I think I can almost shave off like a day, like something crazy, like, like, like a big chunk, you know? And so. But I have this interesting balance between like, I still feel like on the other 200, I still haven't raced. Like, I think I was, I've been getting progressively quicker on them, but the smallest state, I know you were, I think on your pod, your pod, you had the twins, you had Sarah and Melissa and yep. And so, um, you know, shout out to Sarah because she was just um, very inspiring pacer for me during the Tahoe 200 last year. And just that kind of competitive mindset and edge at the end of the race, I, I really kind of enjoyed that and liked that. And that kind of sparked a, like, I don't know, an old sports flame in me from growing up playing sports or something that maybe I haven't tapped into in a lot of years. And I'm going, Oh, wow. Like I forgot about this piece of like pushing my own limits and, and I'm, and I'm capable of more and how much did I leave out there and how much more, how much better can I do? Right. Um, but at the same time, I've had this like formula of like not treating these things seriously and having a really good time at them. Like I can go back in these other races, but you know, I, I'm cold plunging in lakes and taking cold showers and taking naps and partying with people. I mean, at that not really you're a coconut. We talk about that. I think I set the drinking record on the course. I think I think I, <laughs> I think I or drinks during the race than anybody. Else. I mean, it's a self-proclaimed record. I can't like prove it at all. But like, and it was accidental. But like that's it's like it was like the biggest like not treating this thing seriously, right? Like I was taking Michelob Ultra from high school kids up on the the Bradshaws and then other, somebody else is handing me IPAs. And it was just like, you know, by the end of the race, I was like drinking at Walnut and I was drinking at Eldon and it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I, I just, um, I, 
I'm trying to have that balance come in of like, okay, well, I think having fun is such an important piece of this. And I've had so much fun. And if, if I don't, then I, I don't think that's going to be enjoyable. First of all, and it might not be, be conducive to even performing well, potentially. Mm. So for me, I'm trying to come in with a mindset of like, most of it's still about having fun until I get to pick up you as a pacer. And then you get to be an asshole and set me straight <laughs> and tell me the fun's over. Right. So I'm looking for a good balance of both this year. And then, um, and then we'll, we'll let the, the cards fall as they may. Like, I guess, I, I guess I'm looking at like, an, I have an open platform this year. I feel like I don't mm. really know what I'm capable of. And I've never really pushed my limits and left, left it out there. And um, I'm, I'm looking to, to do that at the end and mix that with, a lot of the same fun I've had historically and see how those two pair well and where those results land. That's so good. That's so good. And for context, everyone too, Aaron did, he he means what he says in terms of me picking him up. He even said, he's like, if you see me taking pictures or lollygagging around, tell, tell, tell me that I've had my fun and the fun's over and now it's time to race. And I have that. I told him, I was like, I have that transcribed into my head right now. So it's, it's coming out. Um, but I do love the aspect of, of you wanting to get, you know, more, competitive against yourself, right? Competitive against yourself, shaving all the time, but still balancing that thing of having fun, right? Because I think it can be tough to just focus so much on the competition, right? Like so, so much that like it becomes not fun. And then like, why are we doing this in the first place is we want to have fun, but we also want to push ourselves too. So it's that dichotomy that I think when I like interview people and hear like who are most fulfilled by these races, they kind of have that essence of both right the fun but also seeing what they can do and pushing their limits and everything i know you mentioned like uh like the point about you feel like you haven't kind of like you know really found your true potential or kind of push it out there but still i mean 200 miles is a long distance like when you're out on these races i mean you've done seven of them up to this point at this like is it like do you still like suffer or are you like i guess like what goes through your head in those moments like when it's like really tough and really difficult and like do you still face those or maybe have you not pushed yourself to that kind of limit yet i'm I'm curious to hear that perspective um i was thinking back in like a coach cabinet like i almost have a quote here he's like do you want to keep on having fun or do you want to race i'm like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm banking it i'm banking it why? Oh, you're gonna use that. Great. Oh, yeah. It's, it's ca- you'll, you'll hear that again in a few days, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah. I, don't, I mean, you might need to repeat the question again, but like, I get so motivated by like seeing the sunrise and seeing the sunset, or meet new people that are out there. Um, and I get I get caught up in a lot of these things at the race. Like a lot of times I've been, I've been timing these races about like, Whoa, well, how do I get to this one area at the top of the mountain to see the sunrise there? Mm -hmm. Like then my race starts Mm -hmm. becoming around that like photograph moment or something, you know, or that experience. And so, um, yeah, I mean, let me think, try to think about this. I guess you're asking about like, well, hold on. Like, talking about having fun, but what about suffering? Right. Is that kind of what your question is? Yeah. And I guess, and and I don't know, like it could, it could be different. Cause like what I'm hearing from you, right. A lot of the times when we hear people in like endurance sports, it's like, you know, I want to push myself and I want to like do this hard shit and which is great. Like don't get me wrong, but it sounds what's so interesting about you. It also sounds like what really motivates you is the adventure is the stoke is the, is the being out there. And like for you, like, it's it, like, do you carry that aspect of still kind of suffering along yeah, with I it? I got you. Know? you. No, no, I, I actually ended up doing the opposite. Like, um, 
if it ever goes there, I'm I'm refocusing on like the fact that I like want to be out there and I want to be out there for longer. Like I was even talking to Mike and he was trying to, my coach was trying to tap in, right. To like, well, what motivates you? Right. Mm-hmm. And because I, I think, and I don't want to speak for him, but for example, I think sometimes he gets deep in these things and he thinks I can't wait to be done. And then I can go hit the shower. I could pig out. I could do it. Like he'll think about a carrot about what's going to happen when he's done with the race, which makes sense to me. But then he wouldn't go ask me, well, what motivates me? Well, what motivates me is it's staying out there, is being out there. Mm. So I start getting into these things and I start figuring, well, how do I manage? I want to get all my dollars worth and be out here as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> because the second I'm done, I got to go back to reality. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to do that. Like, I'd rather be out here. This is really simple. All I have to do is walk and eat. And I get to meet people. Like, it's so simple. And I like that life. And I start going into like, a natural sort of through hiking type of mindset of just like, this is what I'm doing. This is what my body's doing. And all your troubles are melting away. And it's like, it feels like it go on forever. Almost at a point. Once I start getting to day four, it feels like it could just continue on. So I start getting, my race starts going out the window and I start being like, it doesn't, I just had such a good time. This is like, this is what it's about. And so, you know, that's why I know it. it I, I know myself and I know that like, that's why I need you to like remind me like, no, 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 you, you had that, you had that mindset the first three days and, but that's not what you wanted. You also want to be able to see what you're capable of. So maybe it's time to push it now a little bit, you know? I love that. I love that. Yes. And, and, and shout out to Mike too, because when we were doing the podcast interview, like right before I said, Hey, like, you know, as Aaron's coach, like anything, uh, any tips you have as a pacer and he like looks at me and he goes like, you don't let him take too many fucking pictures out there or something like that. And I thought, I thought that was so funny, like just to see that. So this will inherently be the first race where you're really going into, I don't want to say that suffering mode, but like more that, that, that just grind mentality of like getting it done and, and going and, and like really just, um, finding that growth through that discomfort, right? Like this sounds like that's that first race kind of for you on top of the competitive kind of ness against your own time. Correct. Um, ho- hopefully more so late in the race, <laughs> right? Of course, like not the whole yeah. thing, but later on. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah. I love that perspective. And so like, what are some things that you're, you're planning to do differently? I mean, I, I know it cause we literally just talked about it beforehand, mm-hmm. but also we weren't recording would have been cool to record that and, and kind of also like post that, uh, now thinking about it, like a nice candid conversation, but what are some things you're doing right. differently in this race and your strategy to help kind of fit that goal of what you're looking for, um, versus, um, you know, kind of just the, going out there, having fun strategy. Like where are some things like you're really honing in and tweaking on in this year's Cocodona? Um, I, I think the first thing is crew and pacers. It really is, is that I haven't, um, I've done so many of these um, just self-supported and without help, but I've seen the benefit of what crew and pacers maybe do with other people. And I've also seen that what happens when maybe you have crew or pacers that um, you haven't trained well yourself that maybe don't know the sport or don't really know how to help you and how that can sort of impact your race. And so um, I think I've, um, and also I don't, I wouldn't even know how to train a crew or pacer unless I've, you know what I'm saying? Unless you, you've either done it yourself or you've seen it. So I think one of the things that clicked for me was last year at Coconona. Um, after Mike finished and he was on the podium, he came out and he met me at uh, Fort Tuthill um, the day after. And he kind of jumped in and sort of crewed me at like one aid station. 
And I got a small taste of like, oh my gosh, this is how it's done. And he was even like, what are you even, what have you even been doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like and he, and he said something like one day, like either Sarah and I or Ben and I just need to come out and just do it. And so that way you just see how it's done. Yeah. And, and I ended up holding him to that and I got him for about half of Tahoe or a, a portion of Tahoe. And so I, I feel like those experiences um, really helped because that way at least I could see how it should be done and how much time it saves and the benefits of it when it's done right. Um, and so I think a big part of it is really just aid station discipline and transition. Um, and so that's one thing I've never had or never thought about. I mean, I'm going from two years ago, I'm staring at a drop bag going, what was I supposed to do? Like, what is this bag for? You know what I'm saying? Like, was I supposed to do something? And it seems like it's really important. I don't want to forget something, but what was it? You know, and it's just like, probably spent 20 minutes just trying to think about what I needed to do, let alone do it. Right. Especially these things where you're, you know, for for your listeners, they don't know that you're pretty much like a a little kid. You're like, you're being being supervised by adults at that point. You're you're sometimes even useless. You know what I'm saying? You're like (laughs) trying to decide what color Gatorade you want or something. Um, So um, I think crew is a big thing. Um, this, the second thing is just knowing that you always have more in the tank, I think late, um, which, which, you know, and, and take some accountability and I appreciate you, um, being the one to, to kind of pace me. Um, but I, but again, I got a small taste of that out of Sarah. I thought she was pushing me too hard. And then I finished at the end and I had a lot more left in the tank and it was like, probably could have started using that earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, I think that makes a big difference in time. Um, and a lot of like other little habits. I, some of the things you talked about. I mean, taking photos. I take so many photos, and you should take photos it's part of during the journey. But you know, I've seen the course twice. I'd probably have plenty of photos, and so there's a different experience too. It's not like, oh, well, you're not going to enjoy nature. No, well, some sunsets are for me, and they don't need to be for a photo for me to have. And so I'm just going to remind myself that no, this one's mm. for me. I'm going to soak it in and enjoy it. Doesn't mean I need to take out my my phone and take pictures of people or things, right? Um, so. I think that saves time. I have other little habits that people have picked up along the way. Like I, I, I think socially I have um, it. Um, it can, it can work against me. The fact that I want to chat it up so much. So like, you know, I could um, think about if I just hired a, um, I mean, I have a, a crew guy that's like a couple of my good buddies. Right. And then I get there and they're excited to see me and I'm excited to see them. And they don't know that they should be keeping me moving. I'm so good at distracting them because really I just want to break. So I'm like manipulating my friends <laughs> and like having these long conversations or cracking jokes and having a good time. So that way they can't tell me to like continue to go. Right. Right. So, um, but that happens also to for other races. I've been, I, I'll, I'll build a relationship with another runner. And then they'll start slowing down and I'll feel like I need to stay with them. I've done that a bunch of times too. And I'm not running my own race mm. or I'll have a good conversation with someone that's a little bit quicker. And maybe my heart rate's too high for too long and to burn me out just because I wanted the company. Mm-hmm. But just knowing how to stay true to yourself and how to navigate these social relationships, even during the race, when it's such a important piece of it um, has been like a difficult social challenge to me almost about like, well, what do you do in this situation? You know, do you leave the person behind? Do you, Tell the other person, sorry, I'm just not going to hang up with you and do my own pace. Like, how do you how do you kind of navigate all that? And I don't I don't really necessarily think there's a formula to it. So it's an interesting one, huh? 
It is. It is an interesting one too, for sure. And I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's something that we've all faced, right? We find like a friend at a race and like, uh, I even know like, like someone I was talking with the other day, like basically they were saying like they were like in leading in the race and like the, the guy was leading with him. And, uh, when he would stop for the bathroom, like he felt obliged to like stop and like wait for him, but like he was in the middle of a race, you know? So it's, it's just so interesting to see like that social thing in there. It's a, it's an interesting thing to balance as well, especially like to your point when you see your crew and they're your friends and you're chatting it up. But like at the same time, you're like this, like subconsciously you're like, fuck yes. Like this, this chat is keeping me going. So it's, it's even that cognizant uh, awareness of, knowing to how your brain plays it too. And just, I, I think that awareness piece is so like crucial to do the things that you are kind of mentioning all in, in encapsulating of what you're talking about there. The next thing that makes a difference is maybe what we're here to talk about to begin with, which is running <laughs> and the fact that I didn't run at all. So I, I, uh, I would say I, I probably did, you know, the triple crown and Cocodona and, you know, ran a whole half marathon between all of them. I mean, it was, it was minimal. The first year mm-hmm. Coconut and I didn't run at all. I completed the whole thing without running. And then last year I might've done like maybe ran a half marathon or something on and off towards the end. So, um, so crazy. a lot of that was that I was, I didn't see myself as a runner. I was, and I wasn't very confident, I guess too. Mm-hmm. And I, and the truth is I hadn't really run. I didn't have any, a bunch of, you know, I, I guess through hiking, I guess, I guess a bunch of time on feet and zone one experience and those kind of things, but I didn't know anything about zone two. I mean, I never had a Strava account and shit before that. So, you know, I mean, even just like, and I, and I guess I had this notion, even if I was running a little bit while training, my thought was it's going to really mess up my hiking. I had this like, like Mm. self-limiting belief that like, I had something that was working for me, which seems like, which like, I could just hike these whole things and seem to be having fun and finishing really an issue and that was seemed like it was working um but then that goes along along you know is comfort a waste of potential what am i doing just kind of hanging out in the zone and so you know i started to get some confidence of like wow like even if you just run a little bit or run walk how much difference it makes in a mile and how much that can add up on a 250 mile race Hmm. and so i don't know the answer to that because i haven't done it right and so i'm interested to kind of see how that works um but I'm, and and again, I'm, I'm certainly no speed demon. And I think it takes people years and years to even build up like a really good, like efficient zone two type of running pace, you know, the Andrew glazes or what you kind of see these people kind of just really calm and easy and they could do it all day long. And I, and I know that it takes years and I'm not there yet. Um, but I know that I know where I was two years ago. And I know where I'm at now. And it's a hell of an improvement. So I do think I'm a lot more um, fit, faster, and at least more confident that I can run and it's not going to like mess up my hiking, for example. Like, that's okay. Like, if I want to run sometimes, I can run, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And so just kind of mixing those together um, and just seeing kind of what a difference it makes, I think that should shave off a little bit of time too compared to a couple of years ago. So. 
That's so awesome. And I think it's, I love how you identified kind of it rooting to like a limiting belief. Like you're mentioning like, Oh, the, the, the ring's going to mess up my hiking, like all that kind of stuff. And like deconstructing that and knowing that it's like, Hey, this is the time to try it out. And that's, you know, not the case in that scenario and breaking down that limiting belief and then trying to execute onto that into the plan here, which I think is just so, so cool to like, cause like, it's not necessarily the fact that like, to your point, like you're not a good runner. It's like, you believe this certain thing that isn't true. And then now you're going through and deconstructing it. Like, I think that's so cool to like bring into that root core root cause. Cause most of the time when we like say we're not doing something, it's because of like a limiting belief in there, as opposed to like our skill sets and capabilities, right? It's more the beliefs and how we dictate it, which is kind of lead into there, man. So I think it's so cool to see you doing that. And man, I'm, I'm stoked to run with you. Uh, and for, for, we were talking about, we were saying, yeah, like we're going to be running, we're going to be running that, uh, that last hundred K we're going to be, uh, running those downhills. We're going to be running the flats. And so I will make sure you stay true to that, my friend. You so you'll be uh you'll be rocking it, man. And I'm I'm excited to uh to take on the course with you too. You're gonna crush it next week, man. It's gonna be such a pleasure. Um, for everybody listening here to follow along with Aaron, I'll put uh your your notes uh, for for all your socials in the handles too to follow along. You go on some insane adventures. Um, so if you if you're like one of those guys who likes following people or guys or gals who likes following people who are just traveling doing crazy shit. Aaron's the guy for that for sure, man. So uh, please follow along with this guy. He's uh, he's just such a joy to 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 have in your circle and to follow along with. So please do. And Aaron, for for the question that I ask all uh, first time guests on this podcast, uh, it's it's the ethos of the show, Everyday Ultra here, right? So the show is about uh, letting our uh, listeners become better endurance athletes every day. So for you, my friend, what can our listeners do every single day to be a better endurance athlete? What would be your best advice? I might go a different direction with this one. I'm going with trail karma, build up your trail karma. So, Mm. you know, when you're out there on the trail, um, throw out your trash, pick up trash. If you see it practice, leave no trace principles, bury your poop, um, help other people out. And I feel like if you make the trails and nature a better spot, than what they were when you went out there, then you're going to get that back in trail karma. So mm. that's what I thought. So good, man. Oh, I love that. That is, that is the best, I think, advice that we can get because like a lot of times, you know, like it, it, it is what you give back to it. And, and, and I mean, if we're treating the earth like crap, then guess what? It's going to treat us like crap real bad when we're on the trail. So I love that, that concept of trail karma, especially when you're going 250 miles and there's so many potential for waste or leaving trace or anything like the fact that you're, you're mentioning that man is so amazing. So I'm sure the, uh, the, the planet's grateful to have you. I know I'm grateful to have you. Our listeners are definitely grateful to have you, man. And, uh, dude, you're going to crush it next week. I appreciate you for coming on the show. And let me tell you, I'm so excited to share those miles with you next week, my friend. And please, I hope we can still stay friends after i'm going to be an absolute asshole to you in that last 100k (laughs) you already sound like the meanest slash best baser ever so (laughs) (laughs) oh man it's gonna be awesome well aaron thanks so much for coming on man appreciate you Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to do so. And if you absolutely love the show and want to support us in any ways, there's a few ways that you can do so. The first way is writing us a review on the platform of your choice. Reviews really, really matter and they help us to spread the word a lot more. So if you have the time to do so, would love that as well. Number two, you can join our Patreon community. Patreon helps us to support the show and helps us to grow and invest into new developments and growth. And on top of that, just for about $5 a month, 
you can get access to monthly calls with me where you can ask me anything on a monthly basis, connect with other members in the Everyday Ultra community, and ultimately get early access episodes without ads as well, which is super, super cool, all for about $5 a month. So that's a great way to support us. And then number three is taking care of our sponsors on here. So as you heard in the beginning of the podcast, uh, we had some sponsors in here. And if you want to invest into their product and uh, go try them out, they're all products that I've tried either in my training and I live by. I don't take any sponsorships from anybody I don't incorporate in my training. So uh, feel free to take advantage of their product and tell them that Joe sent you from Everyday Ultra. Those are three ways to support the podcast, but no matter which way that you choose or if you don't choose a way at all, just know that I really appreciate you for listening in. I know there's tons of podcasts out there and the fact that you're listening to us, that really, really means a lot. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And remember, become a better endurance athlete every day. And we'll see you real soon. Take care.